Hi there, and welcome to Prairie Design Lab, coming to you from the Faculty of Architecture at the University of Manitoba. My name is Terry McLeod. Today in episode 45, the story of the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. In 26 years, it has quietly grown into a delightfully creative source of the architectural past, present, and future of Winnipeg. It was founded by the dynamic Susan Algy. I recently met with Susan and with artist and illustrator Kai Hasselries, who's become an energetic new part of the foundation. We spoke just outside the foundation's offices on a very busy McDermott Avenue in the Exchange District. Hello, Susan Algy. Hi, Terry. Hello, Kai Hasselries. Hi, delighted to see you. Susan, can I go back to the very beginning of the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation? Why did you start it? Well, the foundation started in 1996. Six of us had organized a fairly major North American conference and it was very successful. So they gave us a small amount of money to do a legacy piece. And we decided to do a terracotta tour printed. That resulted in the six of us deciding that there was no organization in Winnipeg that was really thinking about buildings of the post-Second World War period, the modernist era. And so we founded the Winnipeg Foundation with the idea that um, eventually we would grow it to the size of the Chicago Architecture Foundation that many people know. And we're on our way. And Kai, what got you involved with the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation? Susan Algy, <laughs> the genius behind it, who draws people like me in. A few years ago, I started drawing cartoons on Twitter that had a bit of a urbanist spin, especially during the uh, civic referendum we had on uh, whether or not to open Portage, Maine to pedestrians. And uh, one of my characters was the cube, which is an iconic structure here in the Exchange District. And uh, I think maybe Susan liked that, oh, you're bringing buildings to life. Uh, maybe you want to keep doing that for us as a freelance cartoonist. So uh, that's what I've done. And so what did you do next? Cartoon maps for kids of various different neighborhoods in Winnipeg. Uh, the Exchange District, Broadway, Central Park, Jacob Penner Park, uh, Osborne Village, Selkirk Avenue is the latest one. We have little events to hand them out. Next week we're doing a Jane's Walk of Selkirk Avenue with Michael Redhead Champagne. You mean honoring Jane Jacobs on her birthday, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> so we're going to hand out free maps to kids and Michael Redhead Champagne is going to tell everyone stories behind all the buildings. So, Oh, and I produced a, a Golden Boy uh, picture book for kids too uh, through the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation. So, I mean, the Architecture Foundation is about bringing out the joy of architecture and introducing it to Winnipeggers of all types. And uh, I guess I'm the designated... Uh, fun guy. <laughs> fun guy. Uh, so what is it that the kids like about the kinds of maps that you create? Kids are great at discovering things that you and I would never notice and they're also like in terms of buildings uh, like they'll notice animals carved into the sides or the fossils that are let's say on uh, the city hall building where the Tyndall limestone is. Kids are also really good at pointing out if I didn't color something right <laughs> or if I missed something or they're just uh, delightful in terms of uh, having a different kind of eye on the city than you and I do and maybe a lot of it is experience but also just they're three or four feet shorter than I am and have a different vantage point. 
and just care about different things like anybody. And that's one of the things that I love about architecture and design is, especially when it's out in public, we can all notice different things about it and have our own opinions about it. Even me, I live in the Exchange District. I've lived here for years. And depending on where the sun hits buildings or where the sun is setting, I notice suddenly a different, unique aspect of a, a building all the time. Susan, how do you decide what to focus on with the Architecture Foundation? Uh, sometimes it's just things that I find interesting or I want to find out more about. But obviously it's not just about me. We're trying to uh, go through the city almost neighborhood by neighborhood and find out the treasures that you might find in those areas. And when I say treasures, I don't mean just big fancy showcase buildings, but the small modest structures that we might want to know the stories behind. So we're standing here now at the corner of King and McDermott and if you were doing an architecture tour that took us around this corner, this part of the city, what would you be pointing out? Well McDermott's a wonderful street to talk about because um, at the main street end that was Newspaper Row where all of the newspapers were located in the early days of Winnipeg and you can still find certain remnants of that including building called the Telegraph Building and so on. Criterion Hotel where the newspaper men used to go to drink and chat and gossip and so forth and then as you come along there's these fabulous warehouse buildings that you know once housed a, it could have been a garment production it could have been farm machinery you name it and now is filled with all sorts of uh, creative activities of a new kind. And architecture, as you go along McDermott, you could be in any major metropolitan center with these elegant, beautiful buildings. And we're standing beside the wall of this building on McDermott with this beautiful stone. Is this Manitoba limestone? Or? It's an early Tyndall stone, and, a, and the Tyndall stone, uh, well, of course, it's uh, 650 million years old, but the Tyndall stone that has been used s through the ages, it's interesting because depending on what part of the quarry it came from, could be a different color, could be slightly different texture, could have more fossils, not, not as many. It's a wonderful material to go and as you explore the city, kind of keep your eye, particularly on Tyndall Stone. I uh, became obsessed with Tyndall Stone yeah. and I was building a fireplace at home and I wanted stone to face it. So I went to uh, the Garson Quarries right. office Probably got Jeff Dolovich. Jeff Dolovich. Yeah, yeah. And talked to him, and I gave him the quote as to the size that I want. And then I said, uh, Jeff, can I get a lot of fossils? He said, that'll be $15 more. <laughs> and I thought, $600 million to $15 more. And I stare at the fossils in around the fireplace There's almost every time ones. I sit in front of it. Another thing that the Architecture Foundation has done is introduced us to architecture around the world through the Architecture and Design Film Festival. We've just had our 11th annual Architecture and Design Film Festival. It's the only one based in Canada that focuses on this subject. It's one of a small number in the world that meets on an annual basis. And we've been really lucky that we've been able to have a, a number of uh, world premieres and North American premieres before it goes to some of the other major centers. Kai, what kind of projects have you been involved with the Architecture Foundation? We talked a bit about your books and your maps, but 
Tell me about the uh, struggle for the Golden Boy to find the lost cube. <laughs> uh, you're referring to uh, my children's picture book, The Golden Boy in the Case of the Missing Cube, uh, a mystery story starring Manitoba's iconic Golden Boy, which uh, for any listeners out there who aren't in Manitoba right now, the Golden Boy is a statue that stands atop the provincial legislative building. He's been there for over 100 years. He's also pantsless, a little bit like uh, Winnie the Pooh. He's carrying just a torch and a sheaf of wheat. Uh, but my uh, picture book for the uh, Architecture Foundation imagined that the Golden Boy had a day off and wanted to come down to his favorite district, the Exchange District, to visit his uh, bestie, the Cube, which is a uh, Basically a, a stage in Old Market Square, but you have to see it yeah, to and believe it's it. it's ultra-modern design by 546 Architects. Exactly, right? yeah. where we're also standing in front of, uh, because they house uh, the Winnipeg Architecture Foundation Bless office. Bless them for that, for allowing the Architecture Foundation to be in the same space. Yeah. I love the cube, but it's a source of controversy. It's a love it or hate it, hate it type of uh, structure, and that's one of the things I love about architecture is that we're all allowed an opinion on it. The book is that the Golden Boy comes down to the exchange. The cube, oh no, is missing, which is problematic since the Fringe Festival is about to start and bands are uh, getting ready to play. So the Golden Boy has to go on uh, a search for the cube, and in order to do that, he meets some of his uh, other building friends, uh, like City Hall, the Bloody Saturday Streetcar, the old Royal Bank building, etc. And it's a way to uh, engage kids in the architecture of the area in a kid-friendly story, uh, and hopefully we'll encourage them to come down here. I know when I was growing up in Winnipeg, I grew up in the suburbs in Charleswood, but I loved coming down to the Exchange District to look at the old buildings with my family when we would go to the old spaghetti factory when it was down here. And there aren't really as many family-friendly things in the exchange anymore. Uh, so any opportunity that uh, families have to come down here through a book or a map, and I've also drawn an exchange district uh, map for kids, I think is valuable because I think we should uh, draw as many young people as possible uh, downtown. A number of years ago, I had a wonderful face-to-face -face encounter with the Golden Boy when they were doing the renovation and they were going to reclad him with gold. And just before they took him down, they allowed some media people to go up and see him. So I wound my way up through the winding stone staircase inside the dome of the legislature with graffiti from the time the place was built. I got up there, I got onto the platform around him, I had my tape recorder ready, and I was getting ready to ask him a question, and my tape recorder died. <laughs> so. The great answer that I was hoping for from the Golden Boy, I was never able to get. The Golden Boy is an example of, you were asking earlier about what, what do kids notice that we don't necessarily, or what do they focus on that we don't necessarily focus on, and by we I mean grown-ups. My friend Michelle Cooley lived with her daughter in an apartment block right across the river from the Golden Boy, and since the Golden Boy is facing north, and so are they, uh, they had a good view of the Golden Boy's bum, and her daughter would enjoy looking at it through the telescope at night. And so I'm never afraid to draw the Golden Boy's uh, backside, at least, knowing that children just find it hilarious, of course, that there's a naked boy on top of the Manitoba legislature. And wasn't he cast in the same foundry in France as the Statue of Liberty? In fact, when he was first cast, 
It was during the First World War, and he traveled back and forth mm -hmm. as ballast in the bottom of some very large boats to keep them afloat properly. One of the great things about Winnipeg architecture is all the stories behind it, and that's one of the things that the Architecture Foundation has done such a good job of, is to bring those stories to life with their books, like, for instance, Susan's new book about Osborne Village. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got a new series of publications that we've uh, undertaken. I think it's the 17th publication we've done, and it's an architectural tour of Osborne Village. That's an area that many Winnipeggers know from their youth or different time periods. We uh, tell you about, um, I think, 50 buildings in the area, the history behind them, who built them, etc. You played a role as well, I understand, in getting the Exchange District its heritage designation? Yes, in my former work life uh, with Parks Canada, with Parks Canada yeah. I worked on, the, uh, on getting it designated and we, we all were so pleased and happy when it happened because um, it's such an important area. It really is the concentration of uh, architecture from the 1880 period to the 1910 period. Within the Exchange District, approximately 200 buildings that we consider to be historic and of importance. So in all of Canada, there's only, uh, I think, 30 districts that have been designated. So that's a very small number. Who were the architects for that period in the Exchange District? Because Winnipeg was the uh, third largest city in the country and very wealthy, many of the grand institutions, the banks, etc., wanted to have headquarter buildings here. So there were the most prominent architects from across the country, Darling and Pearson from Toronto. We had architects that moved up here. John D. Atchison moved here from Chicago. He had worked with the top architects in Chicago and came here and designed over 200 buildings. So it was no accident when I was in Chicago because I spent quite a bit of time recently there in the last five or six years because my son lived there. Mm -hmm. He lived in a neighborhood that looked just like the Exchange District. I think it's not a surprise that that has happened. There was so much interaction between those cities because of trade, agricultural trade, and so forth. Susan, you have a scavenger hunt that you've organized? Mm-hmm. Does that doesn't involve salvaging pieces from buildings, does no, it? No, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a visual scavenger hunt. People will uh, all come together, we'll give them a packet of 30 questions, clues, and uh, a map that will give general guidance to the area they're going to go to. And they have to go to those buildings, that piece of public art, that piece of landscape, and discover the answer to the clue. So it's not to sit down and Google it, it's to go out and explore. And once you're there, it might be a detail on the building or a certain number of windows that get you to look at that building more carefully. And you also have a QR code tour. What we're trying to do is be able to offer our products in many different ways to many different people. So the children's book, we've done it bilingually. The maps, we've done it up in 11 different languages and we'll continue to do that. And the QR code tour is just another way to give people information about buildings. So um, if you come across a building at any time of day or night, and it has one of our decals on it, you can uh, snap the QR code and it'll take you to our website. You can find out who built the building, what its original use was, its date, and a little more information about it. So if you live here or you're a visitor to the city, 
and you want to find out about a particular place, this will just be another piece of information for you. And how many stickers are on how many buildings? Uh, we have about 500 right now. <laughs> oh, sorry, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, fi about 500. We would like to add more, so it's just as we can. Now, you have a whole bunch of tours that are organized as well. Christian Cassidy, who is uh, an historian and, and writes for the Free Press, and he's involved with you in what way? We try to offer a variety of tours through the summer. We do bike tours, walking tours, and now and again a bus tour. And uh, we're fortunate that we uh, have a lot of partners that join us. We try to find people who are expert on, on the topic. Sometimes it's the architect that designed the building. Sometimes it's somebody like Christian who has done tremendous research. And the latest tour he's doing for us is called Multiple Stories, A History of Winnipeg Parkades. And parkades is a Winnipeg-created word. It came about because of the Eaton Parkade. You and mean the word was invented here? Yes, apparently so. He takes you on a tour to, uh, I think it's six or seven different parkades of different eras. And while he's telling you about the parkades, you're also learning about what was going on in the city at that point in time. Whether it was the expansion to the suburbs, the change in retail, you name it. We do tours that are very factual and tell you the story, but we also try to throw in some quirky ones too that might appeal to a, you know, a smaller number of people. Now, speaking of tours, Kai, you had attempted to do a tour in Transcona <laughs> during a Colorado low blizzard. We've had several Colorado lows. You know, when you organize a tour in Winnipeg, uh, one of my rules is, you know, you just got to make it rain or shine. And uh, maybe we should start saying snow or shine yeah. instead. But in the last few weeks, I discovered that Transcona, which is uh, a suburb here in Winnipeg, has a seven or eight kilometer long walk that is constructed along an old hydro line. And so people ride their bikes along there, they go for walks, they walk their dogs, etc. But when it was built, someone had the idea of developing along it a story walk, uh, which means that there are these stumps every meter or two, and each one has a page from a different uh, children's book. And so a different children's book gets featured every few months. And I was out and about a few weeks ago and bumped into the MLA for the area, James Teitzma, who said, oh, by the way, did you know your uh, storybook, The Golden Boy, is the featured book on the story walk? And I was like, didn't know there was a story walk, didn't know there was a Transcona trail. Do I ever even go to Transcona? Because it's so far away from the city center. Anyway, I rushed out the next morning, discovered, yes, there's a Transcona trail. It has a story walk. My book is on it. So I organized uh, a Transcona trails uh, tour featuring a reading by the author, me, of the Golden Boy book. But yes, it uh, was the same weekend as uh, a blizzard hit. That's what happens in Winnipeg. And guess who came? No one. Did, so, did you go? <laughs> of course. Susan and I went. Susan and I went with Jim, her partner. Uh, we all drove. It was a great field trip in a Colorado low. Because you never know who might want, <laughs> what, what feisty Winnipegger might want to come out. No such like this time. Maybe I'll reschedule for the summer. Uh, in the meantime, the <coughs> Architecture Foundation always has something going on tomorrow. There's the Hidden Winnipeg Scavenger Hunt that we were talking about that I drew a map for. The following week, I'm doing uh, a Jane's Walk with Michael Redhead Champagne uh, for Selkirk Avenue. And I've already looked at the long-term forecast. And I'm delighted to report that it looks like summer will finally be here and it might even be 20 degrees and sunny keep our fingers crossed in which case we might have the opposite problem which is dozens or hundreds of people standing on street corners and uh, crowd control 
Tell me about the Ghost Signs mm-hmm. book that you've put together. Ghost Signs are those feeding ads that you would see on the side of buildings. And again, Winnipeg has an amazing um, collection of them, particularly in the Exchange District. And so Matt Cohen's been researching this for a few years and giving tours. And he's written a book for us, Ghost Signs, a walking tour of the Exchange District, which tells the history behind the buildings and the signs. And he also is giving a, a couple of tours for us um, on the uh, 8th of May, which are open to the public. And he takes people around and, again, gets them to look up and behind and between to see these wonderful signs. A project that will be happening this summer is that he will be illuminating one of the signs so that at night it will um, glow as if it were in its original form. As I look around from where we're standing now, I can see some Mm -hmm. fading ghost signs over there. I've actually thought that it would be neat to do a children's book based on the ghost sign. Like imagining that they kind of come to life in a way. Like my favorite ghost sign is near the Red River College and it just says Eddie's Matches Mm -hmm. and Eddie is spelled E-D-Y. I guess a hundred years or so ago there was a guy named Eddie selling matches and it's like he... I just I'm, have no doubt that he would make a great character in a book. And it's like when I found out that uh, there used to be a network of steam tunnels mm-hmm. uh, underneath the Exchange District. Mm-hmm. Like really? I'm just, yes. Well, because the Amy Street steam plant, which was torn down, used to provide heat to most of the Exchange District. <clears throat> and when that plant closed down, all of those buildings had to then find their own independent heating source. And so that's why you saw things like the Union Bank building, which is now Red River College. It sat vacant for so long because it didn't have appropriate heat. And, it, and that's when all of the real estate in the exchange district became extremely inexpensive because people had to take on their own independent heating. So stay tuned for the Golden Boy in the uh, adventure of the steam tunnels. Wow. Steam tunnels. Wow. I love it. You had another film festival, Archie Shorts. So Archie Shorts, we do it in conjunction with our annual Architecture and Design Film Festival. It's a competition. It's open to everybody of any age and ability. And you make a film of two minutes or less on a topic related to the city, its history, uh, urbanism. We get entries from around the world about their cities. Some of them are expats, but most of them it's about their own city, which is really fascinating because then you see how they capture that topic in that short period of time. It's been going for uh, nine years now and it grows each year. And Kai was one of the winners this year with his film. Glad Susan reminded me, I'd almost, (laughs) I made a short film, less than two minutes, uh, as per the requirements, with my friend uh, Leif Norman, a professional photographer, and our short film was called Lots to See! Exclamation point, and it was about our love of surface parking lots uh, here in the Exchange District. It was a satire. One of the eccentricities of the Exchange is that uh, while there are many great old buildings, unfortunately, Some of them have been demolished in the past few years and too many of them have been replaced by service parking lots. And I guess it's something we have to uh, live with, try to see the bright side of, and that's what my short film tried to do. So it it depicted me um, 
taking shortcuts, for instance, through the surface parking lot. I've seen some of the photos from your film on the web, actually. (laughs) So yes, shortcuts is a benefit to surface parking lots. Vantage point to see uh, the still existing buildings. Uh, You know, when you've got uh, density like bigger cities in Chicago, for instance, you know, sometimes the only way you can really see the building is standing right in front of it. But when there's a vast surface parking lot, then you can really maybe see check out the landscape and also in the middle of winter and we shot our film in the middle of winter. Oh, that's why you were standing on that big snowbank. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, surface parking lots are a great place to put the snow. Now back to the Arky theme, Arky 10, mm-hmm. which is the app that you created for the number 10 bus route through right. Winnipeg. How did that work? The number 10 transit bus runs from Wolseley through the downtown to St. Boniface. And it seemed like a wonderful route to take people on to see a selection of buildings of different time periods, small and large. You can do the whole route in one hour. And so the app, the bilingual app, which is available both for uh, Android or um, iPhone, and it's free, has a narration so that as you come upon certain buildings, you can have the narration in English or French. There's original music as you go along. And there are some photos. So uh, we couldn't feature all the buildings, but the idea is that you'll learn about some of them. And then as you're sitting on the bus, you'll start to look at others. And if uh, somebody can't read, for instance, or they are visually impaired, at least they'll get a description of things as they go along. And we had as narrators, um, John K. Sampson and Verena Taren. So you mean we, John K. Sampson of the Weaker Vents, John Yes, yeah. yeah. So we were able to offer bilingual narration, and uh, they also both allowed us to use an original song. Now, I was listening to the app because I'm fascinated by what you covered with these little capsule descriptions. Andrina Turen does the description of the Eglise Pressiersang, the uh, Etienne Gabarie building in St. Boniface. Here's a little bit of the sound of her description. Église du Précieux Saint. Œuvre de l'architecte winnipégois Étienne Gaboury, l'église du Précieux Saint a été érigée en 1969. Gaboury a signé bon nombre des œuvres modernistes majeures de Saint-Boniface, dont cette église catholique en est le mieux connue. La conception reflète des influences régionales. La paroisse majoritairement métisse a inspiré l'architecte à introduire une forme subtile de John K. Sampson did a number of descriptions of a number of buildings. But here's some of the sound of his description of Westminster, the corner of Maryland and Westminster. Westminster United Church was designed by renowned architect John H.G. Russell and constructed between 1910 and 1912. This outstanding architectural landmark was designed in the late Gothic revival style. The church is of masonry construction with a metal and wood frame and walls of rough-cut Manitoba limestone. The church has excellent acoustical properties and contains a Cassavant pipe organ, of which there are only three of its size in Winnipeg. I so love hearing his voice again. (laughs) But the thing that really struck me about his contribution was the Ruby Elm on Ruby Street and this hymn Mm -hmm. to the elm in that incredibly evocative, personal, specific way that John K. Sampson writes about this Mm -hmm. city and why we live here and the features that we find so appealing. What we were trying to do was a bit different 
in having things triggered exactly at a building and have the music flow through, have it bilingual and so forth. So, and um, as far as I know from my research, this is the only tour from on a transit bus in North America. Let's listen as we go out to the Hymn to the Ruby Elm from John K. Sampson. Thank you for enriching the lives of all of us here in Winnipeg and taking the time to talk to me. I'm so grateful. Kai, thank you. Thank you. I always love talking about this. Oh, may the roots reach beneath the sleeping street, station in the river bed, register what we want here. May the leaves puzzle out the canopy. Shaken photosynthesize everything we're sorry for into one long breath of air. May the against the thunderstorm canker worms and climate change may the bark rub away the power lines bandage over knots and burrows commemorate our Hydro workers play be swift and precise may the road remember to find out more about the many initiatives of the foundation visit their website winnipegarchitecture.ca thanks to Jason Chan for his inspiring story ideas to Jason Shields for his tech support and our theme, and to Brandy O'Reilly for background support. Thanks to you for joining us on Prairie Design Lab. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. On Wednesday mornings at 11.30, you can listen to us on UMFM Radio, 101.5 FM. See you next time. I'm Terry McLeod. May it all